In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. What's happening is that we're losing our civil liberties and our rights. Many of us are losing our lives and very likely not with the pandemic, but very likely to other influences and delivery systems. So here we are. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. My name is Don Jeffries. I'm filling in for the great Richard Serrett. If you have not heard me, you're not familiar with me, again, I'm Don Jeffries, and I'm a best-selling author of several books, including Hidden History, Survival of the Riches, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776-1963, and Bullyocracy. You can find my writings on Substack at donaldjeffries.media, and you can find my blog at donaldjeffries.news. All right, tonight we have a, a, a couple of guests for you. In the first hour, uh, we'll have investigative reporter at large, Janet Phelan. In an hour or two, we're going to have former employee blackjack dealer Gino Minari, who will take us back to the heyday of Las Vegas and the storied history of the legendary Dunes Hotel and Casino. 
So let's talk to Janet Phelan. She's been on the trail of biological weapons and genocide since the new millennium. Her book on the pandemic, At the Breaking Point of History, How Decades of U.S. Duplicity Enabled the Pandemic, has just been published by Try and Day. Her articles on this issue have appeared in the Activist Post, New Eastern Outlook, Infowars, and elsewhere. Educated at Grinnell College, UC Berkeley, and the University of Missouri Graduate School of Journalism, Janet jumped ship and since 2004 has been writing exclusively for independent media. Her articles previously appeared in the Los Angeles Times, We Magazine, Orange Coast Magazine, the Long Beach Press-Telegram, the Santa Monica Daily Press, and other publications. She is also the author of the groundbreaking expose, Exile, and two books of poetry. She resides abroad. Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. So let, let's talk. First of all, I'm always interested in people who uh, had a mainstream platform or were writing for it, and then it says you jump ship. So when uh, I imagine you just did you just become disillusioned with uh, the mainstream media, or what caused you to enter the the waters where uh, people like me have resided for a long time? Well, um, there were particular events which took place in my life starting around 2001 which um, shocked me to my core and convinced me that the world we were living in was not the world that it purports to be. And um, without going into a lot of detail about those events, which involved a murder, a cover-up of a murder, and quite a bit of drama, um, I'll just mention that in 2014, I published a book about those events entitled Exile. So um, I was uh, completely convinced that things were not as they appeared to be, and I set out to try to figure out what they were. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so great. Well, I mean, we're going to be talking mostly, I think, about your your new book, uh, at the breaking point of history, how decades of U.S. duplicity enabled the pandemic, and I was able to read through it and. Uh, found some very interesting parts and it's it's more about much more than the pandemic you kind of go into a, a lot of uh, corruption within the medical and what i call the medical industrial complex and, and you raised one point what i what i found most fascinating about the book was uh i thought nobody but me had ever noticed it but you mentioned in there how uh uh politicians especially presidents how they don't ever seem to die of cancer i you know i i actually i, I remember writing about that a long time ago so i think we kind of independently arrived at that same uh, you want to talk about that a little bit first and then we'll talk about the rest of the book well sure um uh, i believe that chapter is called something like cancer cancer everywhere but not in the presidential suite. yes yes and it's actually pretty it's not that difficult to uh, determine the statistics on this. Uh, the statistics of people who, in the general population who die of cancer, and then you take and look at the world leaders, and you find that, generally speaking, they simply don't, uh, particularly if you're looking at presidents, vice presidents, and uh, leaders of NATO-related countries. They simply don't die of cancer. Now, why is that? Is there something in their in their genetics that makes them immune? I doubt that. So I came to the conclusion that it was entirely possible that there was a cure, and that it was being, shall we say, bogarted. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think you're exactly right. And I, yeah, I don't think you raised that in there, but I would also question. Uh, no president has ever dropped dead of a heart attack in the White House either, which you know happens. And the outside world has been happening for decades. I find that a little strange as well. Well, that's something else to look into. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> Just an idea. But let, so the idea for this book, okay, I, I mean, I, and I'm kind of independently writing. I don't know if I'll, when I'll ever publish it, but I'm, I'm kind of writing something about the pandemic or the plandemic, whatever you want to call it. So it, it looks like we're kind of looking at this the same way with the dubious statistics and, uh, you know, how exactly how deadly is this thing and has it ever been isolated? So when did you get the idea to try to, to study uh, that? I mean, obviously, I guess because you're being uh, subjected to the same things we are. We all shut down and we're losing our civil liberties. Is that what inspired you? Well, when the pandemic hit, as you can probably see from the trajectory of the book, it's something that I've been predicting for some time now. And it became it had become very clear to me that a pandemic was planned. 
And the only question was, when was it going to be released? So what I attempted to do with the book was to trace the evidence back to, well, certainly back to 2001, and in some cases prior, to show that the U.S.'s, particularly the U.S.'s activities, reeked of pandemic planning. The book doesn't go so much into uh, Event 201, which I believe just happened recently, right before the pandemic, but the book kind of starts on the trail with changes in the USA Patriot Act after the attacks of September 11th and, of course, the anthrax attacks. And there is a almost never-discussed section in the USA Patriot Act, Section 817, which is the expansion of the biological weapons statute in which the U.S. changed their own domestic bioweapons laws to give uh, the U.S. government itself immunity from violating its own biological weapons laws. Now, that was a shocking change, and it was not reported by the media. So that's kind of where my rabbit hole started with uh, looking at the evidence that uh, something uh, was going on in the background about bioweapons that would probably result in a pandemic. Well, we certainly see, uh, obviously, Anthony Fauci was basically predicting it. Uh, we had um, uh, Bill Gates and I think several other people. I mean, were, everybody seemed to be saying, you know, this is this is inevitable. And I, I you know, remember questioning the times that why would you think a pandemic was inevitable? We really haven't had a pandemic that could be considered something like this since the Spanish uh, flu in 1918. I mean, all the others, I mean, did, did, was how much of the population even was really affected by, and they may have declared a pandemic, was nothing like this. You didn't see lockdowns. You didn't see uh, mass mandates or any of the other madness that we've seen for the last year and a half. Why do you, I mean, that's, to me, that's really, really strange when you get that kind of predictive programming in the parts of politicians where they all were saying, this is inevitable, you know, we're going to have this and we have to do something. How do we handle it? Right. Well, the the, the cries of this is inevitable um, started long before uh, Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates were talking about this. As, as discussed in the book, um, I had the opportunity to interview Randall Larson, who was the head of the... Uh, uh, Weapons of Mass Destruction Center in D.C. Um, also, who, there were several senators who were involved with the center as well, and all of them were singing to the choir, we're going to have a pandemic soon, we're going to have a pandemic soon. Well, um, when I spoke with Randall Larson, I found his verbal, which is actually discussed in the book, by the way, this whole chapter on this uh, interview with Randall Larson, I found his verbal behavior to be absolutely off the charts. Um, he, he, he seemed to be making it up as he went along. He was concerned about food security. He got really concerned about peanuts, but he wasn't sure where the peanuts were manufactured, but he knew the pandemic would come in on the peanuts. I mean, you got to be kidding me. So uh, there, and, and there were a number of others who started chiming in, particularly began to focus on 2013 as the projected date for the pandemic um, to suddenly occur. Now, there may be reasons uh, why that 2013 date was uh, so favored. There may be reasons why this didn't happen in 2013, which is also, I believe, discussed in the book. Um, nevertheless, um, it became clear that uh, not only did the U.S. change its domestic legislation to give itself immunity should it be involved in biological weapons work. But it also began, the U.S. began heavily to lie to the international community about its activities. 
So uh, the whole situation became more and more alarming to me. So when the pandemic hit, I mean, it, it was a natural for me to put this book together. That's a very long-winded answer to your question. No, well, that's it. And, and, and I, I like the way you, you incorporated it into a historical timeline. And I said it, the, the thing that really jumped out at me was the thing about uh, presidents and cancer. You, you kind of threw a bunch of uh, you know, other things and kind of drew it together into what we see now and this was kind of but I mean the growth of the medical industrial complex which I, I worked for in IT for my entire adult life so I saw it from the inside I'm, I'm not a big fan of it and uh, now we're, we're seeing how it's in all its bloom I mean this is this is medical tyranny and uh, the, the fact that we're being ruled like this I mean what are your thoughts on what we've come to now where you, I don't know if if you're like me, but I haven't been vaccinated, uh, you know, I'm on the verge of being a second-class citizen here. I, I, I'm worried that I'm going to have second, I'm going to have separate restrooms here. We're going to go back to Jim Crow days. I mean, what what do you think about the the the, the fact of why? How come my body, my choice doesn't apply to us? Well, um, yeah, I understand that Canada is is quite a bit more draconian than even the U.S. in terms of yeah. those sorts of mandates. Um, it seems pretty clear to me that pressure is being applied from every possible direction to make sure that people do get vaccinated. Now, when you look at the vaccine uh, statistics on VAERS, uh, the CDC Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, you start to get a little nervous. Um, hundreds of thousands of injuries reported. Yes. Um, uh, tens of thousands of deaths. You know, what's what's the big deal about a virus that has such a uh, allegedly low mortality rate? Mm -hmm. I think it's like 2.2% or something. So, um, one what, what what I try tried to do with the book was to show that there was a longevity of efforts um, by the U.S. government to um, to to launch a biological weapons attack. Now I got a question for you: How would you know the difference between a pandemic or a biological weapons attack? How would you know the difference? I, I certainly wouldn't. <laughs> well, we would know if we're told. Okay, if we're told that somebody... Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, that's it. Somebody ate a sick bat in Wuhan and the whole world got sick. Okay, that's the story. Well, um, I think the story is a bit more complicated than that. And given the efforts by the U.S. to... Um, well, I mentioned... Lying to the international community, um, and I'd like to go into that a little bit more in depth, if possible. Um, the U.S. Uh, there goes the dog. Oh, that's okay. Um, it's live radio. <laughs> okay, not my dog. I wish I could do something about it. Um, the U.S. has obligations under an international treaty known as the Biological Weapons Convention. And uh, pursuant to those obligations, the U.S. is required to report any biological weapons activity, uh, lab activity, changes in laws uh, to the convention at large. Uh, well, the U.S. did not report this very problematic Section 817. And not only did they not report it, they actively lied to the convention in order to mislead them as to the nature of U.S.'s biological weapons laws. So the further down the rabbit hole I went, the more I saw that there was activity that looked very suspicious. And, um, and it brings us to where we are now. So if this, hasn't, if this does not have a straightforward beginning, if this has a route um, which has been just littered with lies and cover-ups and so forth. How in the world can we trust what we're being told now? Yeah, well, I think that's the, the big issue. Is that I and I. That's what I tell people all the time in my writing. Is why would you, why would you trust these people? 
First of all, we know we know they've lied to us from the very beginning. You know, I'm sure you've seen the CDC directives to hospitals back in last April, April 2020, that told hospitals to list the cause of death as COVID, even when tests yeah. were not available or inconclusive. And we know that uh, uh, the, the, the CDC basically has told us what's going on. They, they're including presumed cases, which means they weren't tested in their numbers. So their numbers are meaningless. But I, I don't know why anybody would – and the science, the science of you know walking into a restaurant with a mask, but you go to your table and you can take it off, or, or walking up to a, a plexiglass that is open at the bottom and on the sides, and that, that's supposed to protect – I mean, how are people looking at this and, and not questioning it? Well, you know, I think more and more people are questioning it, and I think the value of my book is that it lays the groundwork for a whole lot more questions. And uh, so this is where uh, I, I actually, this was my intention in putting out the book. Um, as you know, as we get towards the end of the book, uh, the pandemic section, yes. I start to talk about other delivery systems, which could very well result in deaths that could be uh, um, attributed to a pandemic, which have nothing to do with the pandemic whatsoever. And so when you take the weight of the evidence, you know, the, the repeated lies by the U.S. to international bodies, not only to the Biological Weapons Convention, but also to the Chemical Weapons Convention and to the 1540 Committee at the U.N., which is supposed to be overseeing uh, weapons of mass destruction activity. When you look at all of this together and then you, you realize there are other delivery systems, then what we've got is, you know, a whole lot of hooey. <laughs> That's a very polite way of putting it, hooey. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's definitely... It's definitely not not to be believed, and and what I really resent it when they they, they talk about the people that are are skeptical of this, uh, like us, and and they say that you know we're we're not trusting science. I mean, this is this is the most absurd science I've ever seen. I, I don't know if you I, I drive around and I see people in in cars by themselves wearing a mask, and I I, re- I just want to stop them and say just explain what's going on here. What what is the you know what are you what are you doing? What's the science here? For this, and I see it all the time. Well, you know, science is supposed to be a process. It's a process right. um, by which, uh, hopefully, truth is arrived at. It is not uh, something that is spouted from a uh, uh, an employee of a very problematic federal agency. Um, science is a process. So I welcome, you know, science. Uh, I welcome scientific discussions and 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 a dialogue. But when people say, "Well, I follow science, so therefore I'm wearing a mask," then you know you have to ask you have to ask what kind of science are they following? They're right. following mandates. They are obedient to dictates. They're not involved in science. Exactly. And I, I think you go into that in the book that man, mandates are not laws and people just kind of parrot this word mandate. What does that mean? I mean, that's, you know, anybody can say mandate. I mean, that's not, it's, you're, the laws are supposed to be passed and that's not happened here. We're talking with Janet Phelan about her eye-opening new book. At the breaking point of history, how decades of U.S. duplicity enabled the pandemic. So Janet, um, let's talk, so basically, uh, again, you go over into the history of how you believe, uh, why don't you just briefly tell us how you, you think, what led inexorably to this pandemic? You said this was this was years or decades in the making. So within the last, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Bill Gates, was it Agenda 201 or whatever last year? It basically had like a drill that was simulating this. This was like October of 2019, right before that. What, what was that all about? That just seemed to me to be eerie if it had it could not possibly not have been connected that they had a, a drill all these important people led by get the gates foundation simulating something that was going to happen within a few months what, what was that all about yes indeed it was eerie um i uh focused more in the book 
on a legal hanky-panky that the U.S. was engaged in, certainly in the beginning, uh, in order to clear the way to set up a pandemic. Now, um, pursuant to my growing concern about this, I twice traveled to Geneva, Switzerland, and attended the Biological Weapons Convention at the United Nations there. And I learned some very interesting things. Uh, For one, uh, the Biological Weapons Convention is one, I believe, the only arms treaty that has no verification protocol and uh, no way to, uh, to enforce it. Now, how did that happen? Well, it happened because of the actions of John Bolton uh, serving as the ambassador to the UN from the United States in 2001, a mere six months before the attacks of September 11th and the subsequent uh, anthrax attacks. Uh, the, uh, the, The convention, the treaty, which had come into force in the 70s, actually was originally uh, written with no verification protocol. And an ad hoc committee had uh, worked uh, feverishly, really, to uh, hammer one out so that um, the treaty would have some teeth. Because without verification, uh, any sort of way to check, it's just a lot of words. So this, this protocol was presented in uh, May of 2001 to the convention at large and and the U.S. delegation led by John Bolton got up and walked out. They boycotted it. Successfully, I might add. Uh, fast forward to uh, 2011, I am at the convention and we have now a surprise visit by Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who apparently showed up in order to reaffirm how critical it was that this convention doesn't have any way to enforce itself. Her speech is also recorded in the book. So on both sides of the aisle, uh, the Republican and the Democrat, we have uh, obvious efforts to keep the Biological Weapons Convention uh, in the status of a whole lot of words on paper. Nothing more. Now, wow. why would that be? Yeah, and, and, and people, and people like John Bolton, I mean, the guy's, you know, I think a true psychopath and certainly the, the queen of the deep state, Hillary Clinton, you have people like that involved. I mean, uh, <laughs> they're up to no good, obviously. Well, um, you know, uh, some very interesting things transpired when I was at those conventions. Um, At one point, there was a presentation made by a couple of honchos from the CDC and the HHS, and uh, I had developed uh, uh, a a sort of, um, well, I had some questions for them, right? So I raised my hand and... I asked about these triage plans, which had been published in a noted uh, medical journal called Chest, uh, concerning who would be triaged out of the picture, who would not get any medical services should a pandemic be declared. Because indeed, there was a, a big consortium of heavyweights, including the Department of Homeland Security, HHS, CDC, and the results were that uh, certain people weren't weren't going to get uh, ventilators and other sorts of medical care uh, in a pandemic emergency emergency crisis. Uh, notably, the elderly and those with cognitive problems. So they had basically already decided uh, um, to triage people uh, to death. So I had some questions about this, and up went my hand. I asked the questions, and uh, I was I was completely stonewalled. I mean, these the two men. There was a doctor Korch and another medical professional there. 
they, they, they simply denied what had been written, not only in the medical journal, but had been picked up by Associated Press. And uh, following my questions there, I was approached by a couple of State Department delegates who uh, told me they were concerned about the kinds of questions I was asking and they wanted to talk to me a bit about them, which actually that conversation was not going to happen. And I just smiled and walked away. So, you know, it became more and more apparent to me that the U.S. was promoting uh, a false perception and they and and that this was the um, this was the program there for the State Department for others from the U.S. Uh, there was another incident where a member from the Department of Homeland Security named uh, Dr. Daniel Gerstein did another presentation. This was a side event during the lunch hour, and he put up on a screen the uh, the the biological weapons law uh, of the U.S. So he could show everybody what strong and uh, and vital legislation we had. Well, it was the old law, not the law amended by 817 in which the U.S. gives itself immunity from violating its own laws. It was uh, a, an attempt at deception. So um, for me, it was a fascinating experience. I went in 2011 and again in 2016 uh, to the Biological Weapons Convention, and I'll tell you, it was a real education for me. Well, did did you get did you get to talk to any really renowned people? I mean, I imagine you couldn't get close to Hillary or anybody like that. Did you get to, to talk to interview or talk to any of these really famous people? Well, there weren't really famous people there. I mean, there were State Department delegates, except for Hillary. Oh. Uh, you know, there, there weren't. There were delegates, and uh, and so forth. I did speak with the individuals uh, mentioned from you know the doctors from the CDC and also. Daniel Gerstein spoke with him, but there weren't famous people there. there so Anthony, Anthony Fauci wasn't there? Work of ease, really. Okay, so Fauci wasn't there? Oh, no. Okay, no, I see. No, absolutely not. So you saw, so when, when, when uh, you heard, we heard of this, this outbreak in Wuhan, I guess you weren't really surprised, or were you? Oh, my first thought is, now it starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, but, but 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 I mean, did you? Because I I remember when this ha first happened. I just kept saying, I, I'm trying to see the end game here. First, for, I, and I thought they they bitten off a lot more than they could chew when they canceled uh, uh, sports. They canceled all the major sporting events, March Madness, and you know baseball. I said, but this is the playoffs. And this I said, this isn't. The people aren't going to stand for this. The normies aren't going to stand for this. They started closing all the. The stores and everything. I said, "This is you know movies." I said, "This is they're biting up more." But I, I'm shocked, and I remain really disillusioned, Janet, that uh, the way the majority of Americans and I, I guess the majority of people around the world have just rolled over and accepted all this because I, I, I'm shocked, you know, that that they you know accepted this incredible, uh, you know. Uh, Elimination of their civil liberties in many cases, and how were you as shocked as I was, especially about the, the the shutdowns when they shut down the businesses? How more you had so few people that said, "Wait a minute, how how are you targeting these small business owners?" And in the same area, the big chains are selling the exact same products, and you don't have any restrictions on them. How why don't how do people not question that? Um, you know, I, I started feeling uh, right away. Like I was living in a science fiction movie. Yeah. And and every day it was just it was just more um, of of this of the same bizarre sorts of uh, mandates without much resistance. So um, you know it's I think it's a matter of perspective. Um, you know what what. Well, what kind of world do you think we live in? You know, who runs the world, um, and and what's really happening to the world? And I think it should be clear at this point in time that um, 
what's happening is that we're losing our civil liberties and our rights. Many of us are losing our lives and very likely not with the pandemic, but very likely to other influences and delivery systems. So here we are. Absolutely. Well, there's the music again. Uh, we'll be right back after these words with more Janet Phelan. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I call it the miracle molecule, carbon 60 or C60 from my good friends at Evo C60. I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, and it's a remedy that works. C60 Evo can slow down the aging process by reducing cellular damage. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58 and I don't have a gray hair on my head and I have boundless energy. Get your Miracle Molecule in a bottle. C60 from c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. Fasten your seatbelts. Place your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave behind everything you think you know. Think you know. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Don Jeffries here filling in for Richard Serrett. We're talking with reporter, author Janet Phelan about her new book at the Breaking Point of History, How Decades of U.S. Duplicity Enabled the Pandemic, which has just been published by Trine Day, which Trine Day published my book, Bullyocracy, so I'm familiar with them. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk. So what do you see at this point? What do you think the end game is here, Janet? I mean, that's what I've never been able to figure out. Uh, is, are we going to end up in FEMA camps if we don't get vaccinated? I mean, wh- how? I, I don't think there's. They just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at anything they tried to do at this point. Yeah, I'm not a big uh, FEMA camp uh, uh, believer, actually. Um, uh, I'm. I think there are far uh, less obvious ways to um, punish people and to deny them their lives and their liberties. Um, much of which I go into in the book. Um, I, I'm. You know. I'm concerned that we seem to be. We seem to have gone headlong towards loss of rights and loss of life. And um, this is what concerns me the most. Um, And I don't see it particularly letting up at this point in time. Uh, I see where the the imposition of, of these rather draconian measures, particularly the lockdowns, which can facilitate Another one of the delivery systems, which I spent a lot of time talking about in the book, um, delivery systems as a word for uh, delivery of of a chemical or biological agent. So um, I, I think I put the book together in the hopes that it would kind of rattle some cages, maybe shake some people up, get them to start thinking about what's really going on here. You know, recently in the news, it, it does appear that um, the U.S. has finally copped to the fact that they were doing funding gain-of-function research mm-hmm. in Wuhan. I think uh, that it's very likely that a couple of heads are going to roll, but is that going to fix the problem? I don't think so. Uh, so I, I'm in a part of the world where um, 
these restrictions and so forth aren't really being levied. Um, and I, I, I intend to stay here for the time being because it seems a lot safer here than uh, in a lot of these uh, you know, situations where the police are becoming more and more aggressive against people. Well, I think that's the most amazing thing about this. Uh, and I call it the greatest psyop of all time, what we're experiencing, because it's a worldwide thing. Yeah, and I'm used to I'm used to analyzing you know American conspiracies and cover-ups and, and corruption. This is I mean, is there anywhere in the world? I mean, Brazil kind of balked at it a while. There were a couple. Was it Nigeria? A couple African countries, and the presidents died. You know, after you know, again, you know, I, I'm a conspiratorial guy, so that that stands out to me. But there's so Belarus, I think, early on balked at it, and Sweden didn't. It, but basically, the entire world has bought this thing, and very few people, you know, big, strong Vladimir Putin, are questioning it. I mean, this is unprecedented in the history of the world where, as you point out, the number – this is not the black death of Europe. The numbers just don't warrant this. I mean, I don't understand why no one anywhere in the world is questioning this. Well, I think more and more people are questioning it, and I think that's where our strongest hope lies is that people will realize – that they've been sold a bill of goods and that uh well yeah i agree with you millions of people in america alone are questioning but i but i think what i'm saying is that nobody in a position of power is questioning it. even in america you know you have a handful of republicans that kind of but they don't they don't really question they're not pointing out i mean Rand paul talks about gain of function research which you mentioned things like that but nobody's really talking about uh these numbers don't add up you know, and they, they, they don't and, – and why the vaccines have already killed, according to the CDC, not conspiracy theorists, have already killed, you know, double, triple amount by their very conservative figures than all the other vaccines combined since 1901. Uh, why aren't more leaders – that's – say with, uh, that, that, you know, people with a public – because we have these, I, you know, these platforms. But somebody with a giant platform, I, I don't see anybody really talking into the total truth about this, this craziness. Well, um, you know, you're right. And personally, I think people are frightened. I think we've got killers on the list. And I think that's what's happening. I think people are being killed. And uh, they're being killed by a, a either maybe a virus, maybe a vaccine, maybe one of the other delivery systems that I discuss in the book. People are being killed. And when killers are on the loose and when killers are in charge, I think people get a bit nervous about themselves, their families. This is what I imagine. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but I, it's actually frightening because I, I've been very dubious about these numbers. And I've, I've been thinking of for a long time that they were just attributing uh, things, uh, deaths from other uh, instances, other uh, causes to COVID and throwing everything with the kitchen sink there so they get the numbers up. But now I, I'm hearing people being sick and I, I don't know if it's the vaccine or whatever. And what really concerns me is the other day I heard that they're, they're now acknowledging generally across the board that deaths from all causes are dramatically up. Have you heard that? If so, that, that's really frightening. Has that happened before? I don't know. Are you saying uh, that cancer deaths, heart attack deaths, that yeah. All, I was not aware of that. I had not heard that. I will certainly check yeah. that out. Yeah, the, the, basically the overall death rate. I mean, people, more people are dying. I mean, that's scary. And I, and I suspect personally, because I think, you know, I, I side with things. I think these vaccines are dangerous or to, to a lot of people. And I think maybe it's a lot of people are dying from the effects. Maybe it's delayed to some degree. I don't know. But I mean, sure, you know, and, and some people in the world think that millions of people are going to die on a delayed basis from these vaccines. I certainly hope that doesn't happen, but uh, there's a big belief out there, and I think that's why so many are just you know saying, no, I'm not going to get it, because I, I know myself, I fear a possible side effect or something terrible from a vaccine way more than I fear COVID. I don't, I don't know about you. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not particularly concerned about COVID. Um, I, I know a lot about natural medicine and you know, what to do for respiratory problems and so forth. I'm not particularly concerned about it. Um, what really concerns me is is the hysteria 
surrounding the vaccines that we see our government leaders engaged in. And uh, this two-tier society that you'd mentioned before that seems to be uh, launching up, you know, you're vaccinated, you're cool, like go anywhere, do anything. You're not vaccinated, you know, back of the bus, right? Yeah. And, uh, but I think there is so much more going on here besides vaccines. And um, I know that uh, some of my contentions in the book, uh, some people have found controversial. I don't think at this point in time, given the amount of of documentation that the book contains, that my statements about water as a delivery system could be considered controversial. I think they're pretty well documented now. So imagine a world where uh, lockdowns happen and people who are in lockdown uh, get, you know, the, the weaponized water. Who would know? Who would be able to say what they died of? Who would be able to say? Nobody would know. So, you know, we have a situation that has, is moving more and more towards uh, lack of disclosure, towards uh, abuse, uh, towards uh, uh, mandates that make no sense. And I, I personally believe that the truth will set us free. And I think that the more that these sorts of conversations take place, the better for everyone. Well, I certainly agree with you there. I want to ask you before, because we're, we're winding down here, I ask this to everyone. I know how my situation is. This, is. this has become such an emotional issue. This entire COVID narrative and now the vaccines kicking in have really made it, you know, it's, it's on steroids now. How is your fit? Because I, I know, you know, I'm becoming a pariah, black sheep in my large extended family and so many other people I know are that way where relationships are breaking down. Uh, how, how are you perceived in your family writing this book and speaking out on this the way you do? Um, my family is uh, no longer on the planet, which is actually sort of oh. the point of the book Exile. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of a lone sheep here. I have uh, I have friends who who greatly support what I'm doing, and uh, family is a matter of the past. And I'm, you know, I don't worry that much what people think about me. Um, I'm very very committed to what I'm doing, and um, even if I had family looking funny at me, I don't think it would uh, do do much to uh, dissuade me. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, well, yeah. well, you know, well, maybe, maybe you're in, in a way you're lucky. I know a few people like that. They tell me you so you don't get, you don't get to experience the heartbreak of uh, being canceled as I have. You know, I, I've been canceled by one of my nieces, and uh, you know, I've already not gotten go, to go to a family wedding uh, because of it. And uh, you know, you're getting leaned on. Okay, I see yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know that's happening everywhere. I mean, I, I, I talk to other people that are doing it. So I guess you're fortunate in a way because it's, it's, it's tragic when you see that kind of stuff happening. And uh, people, especially when you know that it's, you know, it's like you're, you're just I – mean, I mean, I know how the, the people I'm talking about, I know when it's going to get worse because if they start talking about a new variant or new, all these, these new things and suddenly the things are going to be more serious. Well, I don't know. You better not come around, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's and it's it's just so sad to see. You know, you're just you're just listening to talking heads. This is this is so foolish. I mean, let's in the time we have. Explain what I don't understand is how you know what happened. What whatever this virus is, how can it be do? How can it possibly have not burned out in the heat like every other virus in the history of the world? I think has. And what happened to COVID twenty? And I guess we should be COVID twenty one. I mean, that's supposed to be a coronavirus variant. It was named 19 for 2019. What happened to those uh, particular strains? I mean, no one talks about that. How is COVID-19 still here two years after, you know, it hit the scene? Because it's very useful. And because people (laughs) really don't, you know, don't have the level of science education anymore where they're able to... uh, to, to make these determinations for themselves and ask these questions. People rely on authorities. And who do we have for authorities? We have Anthony Fauci, we have Bill Gates, and God help us all. 
<laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be confident in those authorities. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what you think as well. But uh, I want to give you uh, – we want to have a couple of minutes. I want to make sure we get that in there uh, to promote what you want to promote. Talk about the book again, where people can find it, uh, if you have a website or anything else, how people can get in touch with you or follow your work. Sure. Thank you. Uh, well, I mostly write for Activist Post these days. Um, so you can, you know, see what I'm doing there. And um, I have the book, which I really, really hope people will read and digest because it is heavily footnoted and documented. You're not going to be able to squirm out of this one and say, but this is a conspiracy theory. No, not with this level of documentation. So uh, the book is At the Breaking Point of History, How Decades of U.S. Duplicity Enabled the Pandemic. You can find it on Amazon uh, or on trinday.com, who's the publisher, and probably not in bookstores. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much how people can follow my work. Well, certainly you could be commended. It's it's a remarkable work. Uh, it goes over a lot more than this pandemic, but I think people want to read the last part of it just for that because it's uh, these are uh, unprecedented times we're living in, and uh, we need to rely on people like you because there's no mainstream journalists that are – if you were still in the mainstream, I'm sure you realize you, <laughs> you, you probably wouldn't be doing this kind of work or you wouldn't be uh, – getting paid to write any articles on it that's for certainly from this perspective anyhow if you were questioning it because I, I don't see anyone in the mainstream maybe tucker carlson to a, some to some degree that is uh, questioning this at all I mean, other well than, like i said earlier there are killers on the loose and uh, you know god bless our press i wish they'd grow some huevos <laughs> we call them here huevos yeah so, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you, you and I both. I certainly hope that I, I certainly would want them to do that as well. Thank you so much for being with us. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.